Habakkuk 3, 1 through 19. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shikon. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of praise. Salah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Koshan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Salah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place, and the light of your arrows as they sped. At your flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surge of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off, be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Lord, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Shall we pray, gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for who you are. You are a powerful, almighty God. In your hand is might and justice. You do and guide all things according to the purposes of your will. Father, we adore you because you're a powerful God, but we adore you because you're a kind and gracious and compassionate God. You are intimately involved in your creation. You know us by name. You know our struggles. You know our trials. You know our difficulties before they come. And you equip us with what we need, when we need it, in the amount that we need. Father, we confess that we need you every hour. 
It is only by the strength that we draw from your presence, from the sweetness of your word, for the hymns of your church. Lord, they guide us and they sustain us through difficulties and they express our joy in times of blessing and thanksgiving. Father, we confess that we need Christ. All that we have that is good is a blessing from your hand is because of Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you were here yesterday as we laid our brother Dave Curry in the ground and we committed him into your hands by faith knowing that he was united to Christ in his death, and there will be a day when he rises again in resurrection. And that is our hope. That the things of this world are not our hope. They cannot save us. They cannot satisfy us. But it is only in you, Father, by your work and your redemption for your glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the Spirit that you have given us can we have hope in a world that is hopeless, in a world of shifting sand, in a world that is chasing after the wind, We have the rock of our salvation and there are times when we cling to it when the rain comes down and the flood comes up. We thank you for that anchor, that hope, that foundation that we have that cannot be moved. Father, be with us this morning in the proclamation of your word. For I am insufficient, but you are sufficient. Be with us. Pour your spirit out into our hearts, into our minds, and give us ears to hear and hearts that love you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Back in uh, December, when... um, Dave and Pat uh, were, got the, first got the news about uh, Dave's cancer. I wanted to uh, prepare us as a congregation. I wanted to prepare them as a couple to be able to endure the storms and the waves that would inevitably come. And quite honestly, uh, the heinousness of cancer came much quicker than I expected. And I had expected to be able to have this sermon series done to prepare them for the final days, but in the sweet sovereignty of God, it was the day um, after we buried Dave that we come to the great confession of Habakkuk that he trusts in the God of his salvation. When Um, Pat initially got the news that uh, Dave was not able to get a transplant and that the liver cancer was far uh, more than they expected. It was the words of Habakkuk 3 that she had begun to read through uh, that really sustained her. She said, though the liver cancer is there and stronger, yet will I trust in the God of my salvation. And it was Dave's desire, and I remember sitting in his living room, and it was his desire that his death would be used and not wasted for the glory of God. 
and that these texts in Habakkuk would be a sweet, savory aroma to the, the glory of our God. And as we read through Habakkuk, and I remember at first Dave read it and he's like, I, I don't get it. And I don't see the relevance. And we talked and, and, um, and we began to study and, and, and talk about it. And it became a source of comfort to him. But in the book of Habakkuk, you notice just three short, short chapters that we often glaze, uh, glaze over. But it's a story of transformations. At the beginning of Habakkuk, Habakkuk the prophet is, is, um, comes before God and accuses God and harshly and rashly comes before God and says and accuses God of falling asleep at the wheel by turning a blind eye to violence and destruction that are all around. Why aren't you doing something about what's going on? Why aren't you acting the way I expect you to act? Why aren't you doing what I expect you to do? Then God reveals to Habakkuk the, um, the, he's going to deal swiftly with the sin and the, uh, and the unfaithfulness in Israel. And Habakkuk says, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing, God. And he cries out in protest. He is shocked with the plan of God as it begins to unfold in his midst. And he has two choices. He will either live by faith or he will live by his pride. He will either trust the wisdom of a good and sovereign God or he will trust his own wisdom, his own emotions, and his own expectations and and turn his back on his God. As Christians, as people who are being led in this life, we also have a, a, a choice when the plan of God doesn't go the way we expect it or the way we understand or the way, quite frankly, we want it to go, um, we can either live by faith or we can live by pride. Because God is going to lead us into the beauty of the mountaintops, and we like that. And we sing about that, and that's what we desire. But we will, will we still sing when the Lord brings us through the dark valleys? Will we sing the heaviness of the laments that we see in Habakkuk? Will we, uh, we sing in the serenity of the meadow, but will we sing in the barrenness of the desert when our palate is thirsty and our body is parched? We, we love to sing through the, the blessings and the, and the, the joy, but will we praise the Lord in the pain? in the tears, in the hunger, and in the turmoil. Brothers and sisters, I, my desire for you today is to know this, that when suffering overwhelms, and I know it's just been this strange chapter season in our church, in my life, where I have been shepherding a lot of hurting people. When suffering overwhelms, find strength in the God of our salvation. When suffering overwhelms, find strength in the God of our salvation. And we do that by three things that are laid out in the back of chapter 3. One, confess your fear. Confess your fear. Two, wait for the Lord. And three, rejoice. 
Rejoice even in the midst of pain, in the midst of tears, in the midst of lack. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. So we start in verses 1 and verses 2, this actual song that Habakkuk gives us, that uh, the thing in the, the songs, though we don't know what these terms mean, uh, the, uh, the shiganoeth, uh, it sounds, we don't have any idea, scholars don't know what it means, and quite frankly, we don't even know exactly what selah means. But we know these are to be sung with musical instruments. And as you see them, these, the words are heavy and deep in significance. But Habakkuk, rather than put on a happy face and smile and don't let them see you cry, he confesses his fear to the Almighty God. When life is difficult and causes us pain, we must remember that the plan of God for our life is not health and wealth and prosperity, though our Father desires to give us good things and takes joy to give us blessings. The ultimate plan of God is that the glory of God would fill the earth like the waters cover the seas. God is moving and shaping all things. The bright, cheery colors of joy and happiness and seasons of blessing on the mountaintops that pop and see and they're bright and shiny, but it's also in the dark shades and shadows of gray and the hues that bring great contrast to the, to the bright colors and pastels that the Lord is using those things to shape and to mold. As the sculptor moves and, 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 and scrapes, but he also takes the chisel. And we don't understand, we don't see what this master architect is doing, but he's working for the glory of God. Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, defines suffering as this. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. You see that? Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Now, for us, suffering can be anything from cancer to infertility, unemployment to loneliness. Every single one of us has things in our life that we struggle with, that we suffer through heartbreak and disappointments and expectations that are not fulfilled and they overwhelm us and the things that keep us up at night i know the things that worry me and cause me not to sleep and i know the things about you and i i worry and, and lose sleep over you all as well oftentimes it's the things that overwhelm us the most and the point where we don't have the answers and the point where we have to let go is the point where God wants to get us where we can trust him. Yesterday, um, at, uh, we saw um, one of Anna's volleyball players. Uh, her name is Heather. You probably have seen on CNN the story of two students in Mandarin at Christchurch Academy that were uh, senior skip day, they should have been in school, but they went to the beach and the current was so strong it pulled them oh, two miles off of shore. Just the two of them. No, uh, and, and, and when we saw Heather yesterday, her mom said um, she was uh, swimming and she's very athletic. She has a, a, 
she was uh, player of the year in volleyball, so she was swimming and trying to fight the current, and she was holding a pair of sunglasses the whole time. And the boy, her boy that she, you know, a classmate that was there who was also sucked out to the water two, two miles out, uh, kept saying her, they were locking arms so they would stay together. And he said, get rid of the sunglasses, get rid of the sunglasses. But Heather is a fighter. And as, as Anna can tell, Anna and her fought for years, not in a good way, on a volleyball team. She didn't want to let go of the sunglasses because she didn't want to lose her sunglasses. Heather, you're two miles out in the ocean and there's no one around and you're holding on to your sunglasses because you don't want to buy a new pair. Your life is in jeopardy. And it finally, and, and it was just, this hasn't made the news, it was a point where she finally, he finally convinced her, let go of it. You're wasting your strength on those sunglasses. He let go of, she let go of the sunglasses and she cried out in desperation because at that point, she let go of herself and her ability and her strength. She cried out to God. And in the midst of a really choppy, windy day, um, a boat heard a little faint cry in the distance, and the boat was called the Amen. And it was at that, that point where Heather and Tyler were rescued uh, and, and uh, brought to shore, and it was just amazing how they've used that. But often it's the suffering in our life that causes us to let go of what doesn't matter to let go of our expectations and to focus on what really matters. Habakkuk himself was no exception because the suffering and the overwhelming that he saw, the destruction of the Chaldeans on the distance that were coming, he was overwhelmed with that and he cried out to God, O Lord, verse 2, I have heard the report of you and your work. You have revealed to me what is coming and I don't like it because it's going to mean destruction upon us. Just like Dave and Pat, when they got the news, they, they were hoping for one thing in, in recovery and, and realizing as the plan of God kept going and his sickness got worse, they realized what was coming and they said, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good, Lord. How is this working? I'm fearful of what's coming. See, the plan of God was to bring judgment on Judah and then turn around and bring judgment on the Babylonians. And that struck fear in the heart of Habakkuk because his future was uncertain. Would he even survive the exile? And we don't even know if he did. His confession are the last words we ever hear from Habakkuk. Habakkuk stands in reverent fear before the Lord, but he clings to the promises of the Lord in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is doing something in our days, in our midst, in our circumstances, that if he were to tell us now, we wouldn't believe it. And then he says in chapter 2, the, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like waters cover the sea, but he confesses to God your will be done, Father, though I would imagine it was confession through tears. Ocean Park, don't try to keep a stiff upper lip with the Lord. Don't try to keep a veneer of a happy face and pretend everything's going on. God can handle your questions and your confessions and your joys and your frustrations and your anger and your gratitude. He can handle your heartbreak and your fear and your struggle. Bring it to Him. His shoulders are strong. He knows how you feel. 
but just as you desire your children to bring you their joys and their frustration, he desires for them, for us as children, to share our burdens with him. There's nothing that we can say that he does not know. That didn't work out well. Let me read it to you and I'll get most of it. Psalm 103, 13 through 17, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes for the flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. God knows our limitations. He knows our struggles. He knows our frailty and our weakness and our limitation, and he cares for us. And this is the promise. He is able to take our struggles, our pain, our confusion, and transform them for his glory. Do you believe that? Notice that as he continues in verse 2, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk submits himself to the will of God. And this, in the midst of years, is um, the judgment that will come on Judah and then ultimately the judgment that would come on Babylon a lot longer away. And he says, thy will be done. Use my life for your glory however you seem fit. Habakkuk is praying that God would make his glory known through the earth and demonstrate his glory as he did from the people long ago. Often we can't see what's going on. And we need the Lord to open our eyes just to give us one little glimpse of what's going. That Because without his spirit, the eyes remain blind. His glory is unseen and unrecognized and unappreciated. And he prays, revive your work. Reveal your work to me. Use me as a vessel that I may glorify you. But I love this last phrase of verse 2. In your wrath, Remember mercy. See, Habakkuk at first um, harshly and brashly went to God and said, listen, you're not, not doing it right. But now he comes to God and says, in your wrath that we deserve, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. He is submitting himself to the compassion of God. He knew that his judgment that was coming was well-deserved, but he humbly bows before God's sovereign throne and says, have mercy on me, O Lord, have mercy. He doesn't pridefully accuse of God of doing wrong. He doesn't foolishly accuse, God, that's not fair. He doesn't childishly throw a temper tantrum until he gets what he wants. He stands in humble submission to the Almighty God and he requests God's mercy It's the very thing that Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee who beat his breath, or the Pharisee who looked up into heaven, prayed out loud and says, Lord, thank you for not making me a sinner like that guy over there. 
But in Luke chapter 18, you see this confession of the fear of this, the publican, but the tax collector standing far off because he knew he was not worthy and he would not even lift his eyes to heaven because he was not worthy. He beat his breath saying, God, what did he say? Be merciful to me. A sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who uh, exalts himself, lives by pride, will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, we must follow the pattern of Habakkuk. Every morning that we arise, we should pray the prayer of Habakkuk on our lips. Confess our weakness. Confess our inability and how easily we wander from his ways. And ask the Lord, for his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Ask him, Lord, I need your mercy today. Lord, I need your grace. I need your compassion. Not because we deserve it, but because God is merciful and gracious. And he loves to give his mercies and grace each day. Confess your fear to the Lord. Be honest with your heavenly Father, because when suffering overwhelms, find strength in the God of our salvation. Not only do we confess our fear and be honest with our God, but we wait for the Lord. And the way, this is the largest portion of the text in verses 3 through 15. Um, Habakkuk was overwhelmed what, what was about to unfold and he admits, and he remembers what God has done to his people. And what does he do? He sings. And I wish we had the sheet music for this song to be able to sing it like he does. But he sings. And he remembers. He remembers that God has been faithful in the past. And because of that, he could trust the promises of God for the future and he would not lose hope. Because the promises and the good for the future was not based on what he had done, but what God had done and what God had promised. The prayer of Habakkuk is a powerful image that you see in these verses of a mighty warrior riding into battle to deliver his people. A warrior who carries a battle bow and he draws back his bow to deliver a mighty arrow into the strongholds of his enemy and with deadly accuracy there is nothing that can stand our almighty God who is a warrior who saves his people. Notice he goes through the story of Israel up to this point in verses 3 and 4. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and His earth was full of His praise. You can see Habakkuk going back to God at Sinai and it, where it literally says in Deuteronomy, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. You can see in Sinai the clouds and the lightning and you see the people uh, in, in trembling before this Almighty God in holy reverence to Him. In verse 5 and verse 6, you see uh, um, before Him went pestilence and plague that followed us out at His heels. He stood and He measured the earth. 
And he looked upon the, the enemy that he was seeking to deliver his people from. And that's going back to the might and power of Pharaoh, which was a drop in the bucket and no match for the power of our God, who is a mighty warrior. In verse 8, you see the mighty waters uh, split. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horse in the chariot of your salvation, where the people stood on the edge of the Red Sea in fear because the superpower of the time, the most powerful army was coming to take them captive, and the Almighty God split the waters in dry land and let His people walk. But when Pharaoh's, en- Pharaoh's army tried to walk through, the waters were crushed and closed upon them because our Lord is a mighty warrior who delivers His people. Verse 11, the conquest of the land of Canaan, the sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they spent in the flash of your glittering spear. You can see the hands of Joshua being held up while the sun stayed in place and allowed the people of God to defeat their enemies. You see in verse 13, where God went out for the salvation of His people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the heads of the house of the wicked and you laid bare from thigh to neck. You see the Canaanites who were big and strong and lived in four to five cities who were delivered by the mighty power of God. Why? Does Habakkuk go in song in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his sorrow? Why does he go back and try to relive what's in the past? Because when we remember what God has done in the past, it gives us confidence of his promises and his ability in the future. How often do we doubt God? How often do we forget how God has provided time and time and time again? But when you can't pay a particular bill, when there's a problem that comes up, when things arise, what do you immediately do? You worry, you fret, and you forget. And that's why time and time again the Lord says, fear not and remember. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember that you can't save yourself. It is only the Lord God who can save you. The Lord God who, as we see in Habakkuk, shook the mountains and harnessed the wind. He commanded earthquakes and He split mighty waters. The God who conquered superpowers and opened the eyes of the blind, slew enemy armies, and provided provisions when all was hope. How could Habakkuk doubt him? Same reason that we doubt. Same reason that we forget. The same reason we worry and we tell ourselves not to worry. But Habakkuk, as he sings, as it brings comfort to him, as so many hymns have comforted those in times of need, the reason our children are in service is one reason that they learn the hymns of the church that will sustain them. When many years as they go, they remember the, the promises of God that we have in song that we sing. Notice verse 16. I hear, I remember, your, I know your plan. 
And the response to it is a physical response. My body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon me, the people who invade us. Habakkuk realizes the justice and the salvation of his God. Um, uh, um, excuse me. Habakkuk realizes the justice of the judgment that his people will face. And that it is only God who can deliver them from kings and armies and famines and themselves. Turn a couple books back to the book of Jeremiah. It's on page 656 of your uh, pew Bibles. It's uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. We often hear this verse, Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you. It's graduation season. It's going to be on all kinds of things. And we think, man, I'm going to, God promised I'm going to go to Harvard and I'm going to have a driver Mercedes and I'm going to have a pretty or handsome spouse and it's going to be great. The problem is if you have to, you have to read the context, what's before and what's after. We, let me see where I started here. Notice, this is the song of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophets. And this was a, 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 the, 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 um, the letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles, to the people, the few survivors who would survive the Babylonians and they would bring into, be brought into exile. Notice in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon the wicked, the prideful. I will visit you. I am the one who sent you into captivity. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's writing before the fall of the city. And he's telling them, many of you aren't going to make it. Many of you will die. Most of you who survive it will die in exile. But my promises are not defeated. I will bring you back. And notice of verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. I will give you a future and a hope, and I will call you up and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God promised that the exile, the judgment that they were facing would not be forever, but God was working through his people to bring them through the land. Even the wrath of the exile, God would remember mercy. Therefore, Habakkuk humbles himself and bows his head into submission to the wisdom and love of their covenant God, though it frightened him and though through tears. Ocean Park, when the weight, that, the weight that Habakkuk felt is the weight of guilt and shame and sin that condemns us before a holy God, we realize that we have sinned against God. And if we're honest, uh, that we're not who we should be or do what we ought to do, and we know in the, the stain of sin that has marred our bodies and our families, our societies and our planet, and it's a weight that overwhelms us when we consider our guilt before a holy God. Too many times when we question our God who is, uh, who is going to deliver us from our suffering, we fail to remember what God has done to our greatest enemy. We all have challenges and, and struggles and difficulties, but we can remember this. As Christians, 
our greatest enemy has been defeated. Sin and death and hell at Calvary. At Calvary, the Lord stripped the sheath from his bow and he called for many arrows. He drew back the power of his bow and with precision, he aimed it at the cross. And the mercy of God was seen in the wrath of God because it wasn't us on the cross. Though we had sinned, And though we had committed the cosmic treason that was worthy of death, it wasn't us on the cross. And the Lord took aim at Christ to deliver us and to give us salvation. The Lord's sight was not set on all of us who committed cosmic treason but against Christ. His aim was not the rebellious creatures who spurned His glory and trampled His holiness. His aim was not set on the Son. His aim was set on the Son with whom He was well pleased. The Son who had loved His Father with all His heart and soul and mind and loved His neighbor as Himself. The Son, for our sake, made Christ to be sin who knew no sin that what? that we would be delivered from our greatest enemy because we would receive the righteousness of Christ and Christ would receive the wrath and the penalty of God. It was the grace of God that was seen on the cross when the wrath of God and the mercy of God collided in the beauty of the cross. So now when we worry about our bottom line and we worry about our health and we worry about our children and our grandchildren and we have so many questions, what in the world is God doing? Because I often will ask that myself and I scratch my head and I I say, "I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to have these questions, but I don't. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you who. Our Lord, almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, who is working for our salvation, for his glory, and he will bring us and glorify us to his sight. When suffering overwhelms, we can find strength in the God of our salvation. We confess our fear. We wait for the Lord who is working in our midst, who has already conquered our greatest fear, and he will uh, bring his glory on all the earth. And finally, the great confession of Habakkuk back in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Even amid the suffering and the loss, Habakkuk had learned that he could trust the Lord. He could trust Him um, when great joy had come. He could trust Him on the mountaintops, but he also could trust Him in in the valleys, in the lack, in the difficulties. His trust brought him great joy because his joy was not dependent on his circumstances. His joy was dependent on the character of the God who had promised him that he would bring glory for his people. Notice verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herbs in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. 
Habakkuk knew the difficulties that he would face in his people and then generations of those who trusted in the sovereignty of our God. He doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't pretend to stick his head into the sand and sing uh, little, little cheesy uh, songs. He doesn't pretend that it's not happening. He sings the dirge of trust in an almighty God. He declares his trust in the God, not in the blessings that God gives or the blessings that God withholds. He declares he will not be shaken by drought or famine or the sword. He declares he will not curse God nor answer uh, for not answering his prayers in the way he wants. Like Job, he declared, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak, his speaking to his wife. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? All of this Job did with his, without um, sinning with his lips. Job continues and he said, Though he, God, slay me, I will hope in him. Habakkuk came to the point that he trusted God no matter what happened in his life. He would bless the Lord when the harvest was plentiful and the harvest was meager. He would bless the Lord when this, if the city stood strong or whether it lay in ruins. He would bless the Lord whether the, when the Lord gave to him and he would bless the Lord when the Lord took away. Ocean Park, the faith that sustains Habakkuk will sustain us as well. The ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant promise to his people is found in Jesus. He is the yes and amen for all the promises of God. Through his, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he delivers us from sin's bondage. He brings us safely from death to life. He has already defeated our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. So therefore, you can say in today's society, though the test results are not positive, nor the treatment effective on my disease, though my toil and my work produce little, though my closest relationship be severed by sin and sickness and death, though there be little in my checking account, yet will I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Can you say that? Be honest with your, with your struggles and your disappointments. Weep over the life that you desired and you had. Tell it to God. And then trust Him as He leads you in the life that He is leading you for His glory. If Christ has defeated sin and death and hell, there is absolutely nothing that can steal your joy. For you, faith does not come from your circumstances or the gift that God gives you, but it comes from the sustaining presence of God. As the psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, not because of my wisdom, my ability, my money, but because you, my good shepherd, are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And you can say with Habakkuk in verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk knew that despite the circumstances of life that God was good and worthy of praise. No matter how good or bad life is, God is the only source of hope and joy. He is doing something far greater in our midst than we realize and far more beautiful than our wildest imaginations could come up with. 
Therefore, we can live each day our feet secured by grace of God to the rock of our salvation. So the winds blow and the waves bash against that rock. When we don't understand and we don't see what God is doing, when our emotions are heavy, when our heart is broken, when suffering overwhelms, we can find strength in the God of our salvation. George Matheson was born in Glasgow in 1842. He was the oldest of eight children, and he was one of the brightest. And throughout his childhood, he suffered very poor eyesight. And the age of 15, he was given the diagnosis that he would eventually go blind. And rather than being overcome by despair, he enrolled in the University of Glasgow and graduated at age 19. During his time at Glasgow, he fell in love with a, one of his fellow students, and in college, his, his eyesight began to rapidly fade, uh, and he, began, he broke the news to his fiancée that his condition was incurable, and he would go blind. To this, and to his astonishment and his great sadness, she bluntly answered him with a dagger to his heart, I do not want to be the wife of a blind man. And she turned and never saw him again. Yet in the midst of deep suffering, he found solace in the wisdom of God. Matheson would never marry, but his younger sisters devoted themselves to caring for him. They even went so far to learn Hebrew and Greek and Latin to assist their brother in seminary. And over the course of the another 20 years after he graduated from seminary, he became a pastor of two churches, including one with over 2,000 members. In June 6 of 1882, on the eve of one of his sister's wedding, he found himself alone in his home that his sister once lived in and cared for him the last two decades, and now she had left to go and live with her new husband. In the silence of that home, in the darkness of his condition, he became overwhelmed with the pain of his broken engagement and the loss of the life that he thought he would have. Because of the two decades of living in darkness and the loss of his sister's sweet compassion, he later described this night as the most severe mental suffering. Yet it was in the fruit of that night, of dark night of soul, that he wrote the hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. A hymn he said he wrote in five minutes and he never revised it once. Yesterday, Joseph Brader from Community Bible Church wrote, sang that song, two of which verses are this, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths its flow, my richer, fuller be. O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee, I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. Brothers and sisters, it was in the midst of disabilities and heartbreak, suffering and loneliness that Mathis believed the promises of God and his word. The gospel that declares our greatest enemy is defeated and Christ is coming to bring his glory in all the earth. He did not doubt the love of God for him that was expressed through the, written, the, the, the finished work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. 
Matheson trusted the character of God even when he couldn't understand the work of God because he was convinced that in the midst of his suffering, when suffering overwhelmed him, he would find strength in the God of his salvation.